Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. What's up, buddy? We're missing we're missing Randy. Yeah, yeah, Randy uh, taking care of some important business, but uh, here live in hot South uh, hot, hot uh, Tampa. Uh, yeah, it's it's hot. I think in the whole bottom half of the United States. So, welcome to uh, Security Squawk. Another week of podcasting to you about cybersecurity, what's going on out there, and our perspective on maybe how you can protect yourself or mitigate some of this risk. Because uh, there is a lot of it out there, Andre. We're going to run through that. We're going to kind of switch the show up a little bit because we're on a little bit of a modified schedule for various reasons, um, mainly because all three of us are extremely busy right now. And uh, so we're just going to kind of do what we do in the green room, but we're going to do it live on the show. And we're going to kind of go through some articles that I find interesting as I search, you know, Google and the interwebs, and we're going to talk about them. Uh, we'll share them up on the screen. Um, just remember, if we educate you or enlighten you or in any way today, just give us a thumbs up, give us a like, share us out, or leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform, and we'll continue to bring you this sh show and this information on a weekly basis. So, um, wow, Andre, I'm going to mute my phone so that doesn't happen anymore. Um, and... Uh, Somebody actually texting me, telling me they're watching the show, and uh, we appreciate the support, Ken. Um, the uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover this whole clop thing, and I, I, hopefully we don't have to talk about it too too long. But man, is this is this group uh, kind of taking it to businesses across the world who decided to implement move it and then not do anything about it once the. Uh, the vulnerability was disclosed and this clop ransomware gang is just raking it in. I mean, yeah. 75 million in probably two, three months. Yeah. Yeah. Some other reports are saying a hundred million. So you're looking at almost uh, 50 million a month. Not bad. Not bad. And uh, you know, I, I saw an article and I don't know, I'm going to pull up the other one next, but um I saw that PricewaterhouseCooper, who actually provides cybersecurity services and incident response services, were one of the victims. And a lot of their customers' data was exposed as a, as a part of this. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of companies out there that are with PwC who think uh, they have good cybersecurity. And uh, we just found out how good that was, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's, am, I being, am I being too harsh? Well, that's the thing because, you know, Move It is a third party, right? So it's not that they themselves, but it was just that third party application that they were using that now has this vulnerability and, and need, needs this update that um, nobody was paying attention to. So does that make you feel good if you're cybersecurity? It was with PricewaterhouseCooper and they're your cybersecurity it, team and they now have this on their on their record, so to speak? You know, it's still your problem, but um, if it makes if I'm the IT director, then I feel a little good that it wasn't something like per se that was our responsibility. But at the end of the day, it's your it's your problem and it's your responsibility to to vet these companies to make sure that you're up to date with um, everything on their side. So yeah, it's still a headache at the end of the day. 
So, uh, so the first thing is, is that um, there, I guess the, the point of this article that's that we're, we have up on the screen here, that's I'm sharing from bleeping computer. Um, they're expected to earn, as you mentioned, up to a hundred million extorting victims. Um, and in a new report released today is Coveware explained that the number of victims paying ransom has fallen to a record low of 34%, causing ransomware gangs to switch strategies to make their attacks more profitable. And that's what we're seeing with this move it. Um, they're basically coming to these companies and we're saying like, we have this information, we know what it is, we've looked through it, we understand the value to you and what we can do with it. And if you don't pay us this amount of money in a certain amount of days, we're going to start contacting these people. And then they list specifically who those people are. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing to me the, the amount of um, research and social engineering that they're going to do as a result of this particular attack. Um, so, Quickly, I mean, do you want to kind of, I guess we've talked about this for a few weeks now, but you want to bring people up to date on what Movit Zero Day vulnerability even is, right? Uh, right. Yeah. So Zero Day uh, basically means that there is a, I would say, uh, not want to say vulnerability, use the word vulnerability, but it's basically a software application that you could have. And there's the hackers, the bad guys they see that there's this issue. And now what they're doing is, is they're exporting it before the actual manufacturer or the vendor of this of the actual software realizes it and has time to actually do the update. So this is kind of like a cat and mouse, mouse game. And the bad guy sees that, oh, wow, this is bad code or there's this way we can get inside. Let's hurry up and let's, you, you know, exploit it before it's found out. And then um, this is basically what happened. Yeah, so the move it is is used by basically financial service companies to use they use secure file transfer to move information. Um, it's one of the actually one of the things that blows my mind about this industry is that they still use this technology to move a lot of financial transactions around the world, and they, and they use it quite significantly. Um, you, you'd be surprised how much they use tools like Move It and other tools. But this particular technology in general, which is basically FTP or, or SSH or SFTP, however you want to look at it, um, it's very basic technology. It's not real sophisticated. Um, and that being said, it you know, there's a there's a lot of there's a very high chance that there are going to be a lot of zero days around these types of things, and quite frankly, I feel like today there's way better ways to move this stuff. It's just a heavy lift for that industry to move in that direction to move away from kind of this SFTP stuff to something that you know I would say is more secure uh, than SFTP. Um, but it would take an industry to adopt it um, and. I, and I and I think that that's the, the I think something like this is going to make this industry look at maybe alternatives to to doing business. Mm -hmm. and, and there's so much government agencies. Um, even this morning, U.S. Health and um, Human Services Department 
said that they're part of it, California with driver license, Oregon. So I think this again goes just back to um, if if there's a company that this is kind of like a I would compare this to something like with the when the um, the oil company uh, remember mm -hmm. the pipeline Colonial Pipeline like there's got to be something where if you have a company that is doing such important information that there's some type of regulation there's some type of someone watch watch guarding them because it's like this is crazy. So, um, so yeah, the, uh, the move it guys, uh, you know, they, there, there's a lot of information in this article and I don't know which way you want to go with this, but I'm, you know, they're basically saying that like, they're only going to make money off of 10% of the victims, which I, I find an interesting stat that they're still going to make 75 million and they're only going to extort about 10% of the victims. That just shows you how widespread this is. Like they, mm -hmm. they were able to not only attack companies, but 90% of them, they're not even going to try to do anything with it's they've selected the ones that they think or know can pay this stuff. So, um, you know, and it'll be interesting if they're also doing that because they're at capacity themselves where they're like, you know, we, we only, there's only so much of us. So where do we go just to get the biggest fish and then just, you know, not worry about it or even resell that information, right? Resell it to a smaller guy so that they can go after the smaller fish. So I got a quick question for you. I'm going to, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. I got a friend who's messaging me and he wants to come on the show. Do you want to, do you want me to bring him on? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So he's a, so I'll just kind of give you a little bit of a background. Um, he's a friend of mine. I actually went to high school with him. Uh, I mean, he's messaging me now. So let me see. Was he the one calling you? <laughs> yeah, he's the one messaging me. Let me let me see if I can get him on. And I don't want to say too much until I know I can definitely get him on. Okay, sure. Um, but this would be really cool to have this guy on because he's found a lot of vulnerabilities uh, in the world. Um, and let me see if I can get him on. So I sent him a message. So let me see if he comes on. But yeah, he's found a lot of vulnerabilities. He's got a couple big ones out there that I'm aware of that aren't really disclosed yet. Um, he's a he's a researcher. He's 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 the guy. He's one of the guys that's in there digging deep, trying to figure out how to find zero days like this. Um, and you know that's what he does. Um, so if we can get him in here and he can. Uh, give us some insight and, and talk to us on the show. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I sent him the link says, let's see what happens. Cool. Uh, let me message him on. Also worth mentioning, this is not just the United States. This is, they're providing worldwide services to companies. So, and, and how many companies are probably not even reporting it? That's just you know paying, but not um, not actually you know making it public. This is a a um, also if you want to go to that next article, Brian. Yeah, I'm gonna pull that up. So guys, start talking about it. You can start reading it. Um, yeah. I can't multitask on my iPad, but oh, that's, uh, right. that's right. Yeah, right. no no problem. But the next article, um, which also has to do with the move it is talking about different strategies that um, they're doing. So typically when there's some type of data breach, 
the data goes into the dark web and then from the dark web it's um it's sold but you can't normally you know a normal person just doesn't go on the dark web you have to have tor or some other type of of browser to search so now what they're doing is they're moving into what is called a clear website which is the everyday site that you know you and i would go on so what this means is that if your data uh, so before if your data was um, being sold on the dark web your driver license your social account information you can't just google your name and 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 find that information but now this strategy is uh, according to this article is saying that is saying that um they're now going to start putting this on the on the regular internet which for me this is even more dangerous because now again someone can just google your name or google you know a part of your phone number or anything account information and all of this information can now be um now be shown on the normal web now there are ways you know if this is being on a a legit site or you know you can have um the dns gods kind of block sites like that so there are there are some some safeguards to that but it's still your information on the internet for a period of time until it's shut down. Yep. So we do we do have our, our guest here. I'll bring him him on in a minute. But this is amazing. Clop now leaks data stolen in movement attacks on clear websites. So it's clearly a play of what we basically talked about last 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 article, right? They're they're doing everything they can to extort these victims. Um, and, and they really, like I said, it's only 10%. They also, they can go to the 90% at any time and, and start harassing them too. Yep. So, all right. So stop sharing my screen. I'm going to bring up our guest here. I got Ken Pyle. He's a, uh, as he, uh, as, as the title says, their partner exploit developer, developer at a company called cyber. Ken and I have been friends since we were little, little boys um, it's amazing to me that we're both uh, in this industry and, and we do a lot of the, a lot of things uh, together that are very similar. And it's pretty cool to see that somebody from my high school is, is taking a similar path. And we actually have another friend who's taken another path with the military, which is even more mind blowing. So, um, Ken, welcome to the show. You're probably not going to go on camera because you're, you're, you're one of those guys, <laughs> but, um, we understand that. So welcome to the show, um, Andre. Uh, meet Ken. I told you a lot about Ken over over the yep. time here, and uh, we're hey, glad Ken. to have you on, man. Hey, what's up? Good to talk to you guys. It was uh, it was a, like I said, I saw you're talking about this and and jumped on, and I was like, mm, interesting topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're gonna make a lot of money off uh, businesses on 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 this movie thing. It's pretty wild. Oh man, this is gonna pay off forever just thinking about how one you can pivot out of this thing so really it's a couple of vulnerabilities chained together but when you really start thinking about what they're after are they really after full system compromise eh, maybe but skimming all those records off skimming all those things off one they've got a first generation of ransomware or ransom situation against the provider then they can jump down to all that information that they have from email addresses, PII, what have you, that they can now pivot out to if there's passwords in there, there's credentials in there, stuff like that, to other systems. And that's kind of the normal stuff. But think of things like the Ashley Madison hack, 
where that thing has paid off for years and years and years because no one actually knows the scale of what was taken out and we all have to assume the worst. So now if somebody contacts you and says, I got your information from the move it breach or something else like that, you don't know. And now you're playing, you're gambling in the casino that they do or don't. And that's really what they're after, preying on that. I don't know where this came from, how bad it is, whatever. Gives them really a house advantage in gambling all of this. And that's, as you were talking about earlier, 34%, 10%, whatever. They don't, while they want their numbers to be up, as long as they're making money, this thing's going to work. It's a really weird way to take this thing, but I guarantee you that's how they're going to start optimizing out of it and really squeezing. It's an interesting problem. Real interesting so can, problem. Ken, if I'm, an, if I'm a customer of MoveIt, will I know if, I, if I'm impacted? Or like, how are they able, how are they tracking this to know who, which customers are, are impacted with this? I don't know, and I can't speak to that. What I will say is there's a lot of notifications that went out, but you have to also remember that people at companies who may have registered a license, whatever else, may not be the ones, those email accounts might not be active, people not be, may not be looking at them. There's a, there's a certain responsibility we have to take on our side and go, I don't know, but I'm going to find out real fast. That's part of that documentation process. And this is where that compliance and security stuff starts intersecting. Like, hey, man, I, we got to do something. If something like this happens, and even though it's been exploited for a while, as soon as you become aware of that problem, you have to act. You really should act. And that's, again, think of it this way. Most companies have like a zero to 30 or zero to 60 day window of, well, if it's critical vulnerability, we'll patch in 30 to 60 days, right? right. More stuff was coming out after the breach. Hey, here's another one. Here's another one. Plus companies got to go, well, we only have to do this in 30 days. That's that golden window of even if things are running right and you're doing all those things, there's still a significant period of time in there that you might be hit. This is where things like SBOM and a lot of other things become really, really important, like vendor management, whatever. Like the important thing to remember is like everybody, every, trust me when I say this, and I found hundreds of vulnerabilities, if not thousands, everybody's got a problem. It's the whole Mike Tyson thing. Everybody's got a plan till they get hit. What everybody needs to start doing is instead of going, oh my God, we could have prevented this and how could we have done this or whatever, go, you can, or at least you can minimize that risk with some really good practices. If the onus is on you responsibility-wise, fiscally, whatever, you need to really start taking an active role in that. When do you think that'll happen, Ken? Because it's, you know, the companies that I'm dealing with, there's very few that that take it to that level and the ones that, and, and most of them don't, most of them don't think they have to. Most of them think they can keep this as an IT problem and, and not a executive senior level problem. And the three of us know that the tide is changing and we see the tidal wave coming in terms of legislation, in terms of what's going to be required in cyber insurance, in terms of what's going to be put in the contracts moving forward because of third party risk, you name it this tidal wave is going to hit these CEOs boardrooms probably in the next 18 months, I would say. Um, <clears throat> do you think they're going to, do you think you agree with what I'm saying there? Or do you think it's going to take longer? Do you see it playing out differently? I will say this yes to everything. <laughs> and I know it's a weird answer, but I'll say this. I keep thinking the next big breach is going to be the one that finally gets people to move. And, and it just doesn't happen that way. And, and, and what happens is, it, and it, think of it this way. We don't do enough post-mortem and we certainly don't do enough proactive. 
what we definitely do a lot of is posterizing the poor people who got hit the last time and going, hey, man, could have fixed this, whatever. But like we're sitting here talking about it like, hey, how can you do these things? And it really ends up being like we see it from our side, right? We get the re uh, we, I'm either causing problems or you're fixing them, right? And it keeps coming back to, well, we just need to get our ducks in a row, really good documentation. Legislation wouldn't hurt. And, and I always say this, and you've heard me complain about this endlessly. The way vulnerability reporting, bug reporting disclosure works is really odd. It's not handled the way you would think it would be handled. Right. And it more ends up becoming, in my opinion, my Ken Pyle's opinion, an NDA factory and a way to say we're doing stuff, uh, and but really, are we doing anything? I don't think so. What needs to happen in that industry, in our industry, is a lot more of playing everybody playing with their cards on the table and being the adults in the room and go, listen, we all have warts, right? We all have a problem. Instead of trying to protect myself first and everybody else after, it's really got to switch the other way around. And it's all that shame and whatever. And we keep, like we posterize people for this stuff. And trust me, people do need to be posterized. And that's the unfortunate part. Sometimes that needs to happen to make something happen, right? But we got to kind of start taking the stigma out of it a little bit, talking about it more openly. And I think that starts with what you said, legislation, some really strong ground rules and some enforcement of we're all going to start behaving in everybody's best interest. I think that's the only way it'll work. But I don't... We so, keep running into the wall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this remind. I just read an article last week from Krebs. He he did, you know, kind of a rehash of a study he did in 2018 where he looked at the Fortune 100 companies and there's, there's only five companies that have CISOs on their board in the Fortune 100. Um, and every other company has their CISO below either the CIO or some other function in the company. That's down by five. There was 13 in, in 2018 or 20, yeah, 2018. So businesses have taken a calculated risk that we're going to bury our heads in the sand until somebody makes us not. And that's the play right now. And, but I'm just, you know, I know what's on the books in Washington. I know what these, you know, in the back rooms in, in, the, in the Capitol, what they're mulling over and what they're trying to wrestle with. Um, but I also look at, and I'm going to get your opinion on this because, um, you know, the, the White House is coming out with, you know, their cybersecurity plan. They rolled out their implementation plan. And when I see things like, well, we have Microsoft and Google and Amazon helping us build this thing out. And then I see words like safe harbor in there. That raises red flags for me, too, because I'm like, well, the people who are designing this are going to build the safe harbor. So they have to do the minimum amount to meet that criteria so they can't be held liable if they put out software that's full of security holes. That's my thought. Any, any thoughts? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> I hear the same word safe harbor scares me just because I know it from HIPAA and I know the, how, what a low bar that is. And I'm just like, eh. I, um, I think it's a good start. Yeah, I, think, I think the best, we keep trying to reinvent the wheel. And what we should really be doing is taking after something like the vehicular uh, recall industry. Yeah. 
right? Like everybody gets a notification. Everybody does this. Everybody X, Y, Z. It's controlled by a third party. Now, I will say this. Do I think the government, a consortium of companies, whatever, should be sitting there making all those decisions? That's above my pay grade. But what I will say is, if most of small business, uh, business, small business, things like that, or medium-sized business is most of what's America. And those folks we know don't have the resources, time, whatever, to be able to full-time do this. I definitely think they need a seat at the table. And I definitely think there needs to be more advocacy in that realm. Because if we all admit there's a problem, we can't fix it, it's a resource thing, whatever, then why don't we start pulling all those things together and cooperating a lot more? But on the other hand, you have those companies who, again, they suffer from vulnerabilities. They know it, what have you. They're getting to, to, to be part of that process or some other stuff. I think there needs to be a much more wide ranging, holistic view of this beyond a bunch of papers and a bunch of non-enforceable suggestions is what they end up being. Yeah. Yeah. So, so can a company companies this size um, using the move it. Any reason why the data wasn't just encrypted from you know from one side to another, or is I, it just when it's that large, it's just you know these enterprises just it's just going to be too time consuming and difficult. I can't speak to the engineering of that part of the solution, but you have to remember some of this was SQL injection stuff or directly extracting the information off the device. So you're ends up being kind of talking about two different parts of the same thing. It is very likely and probably was encrypted in transit from endpoint to endpoint, endpoint to client. It's a matter of whether it was encrypted internally or at what level it was encrypted internally. I will tell you, I'll be at DEF CON in a few weeks and showing this kind of thing off on a totally different product. All of the encryption would pass muster on the thing I'm looking at, except for the fact that that stuff is stored in plain text on an encrypted or unencrypted drive. So if I can execute commands on something, and I'm not saying this necessarily, but it's a very common problem. You can have the drive encrypted, the connection encrypted, but if I can get access to the local store of information where it's not, all of that other stuff becomes irrelevant. In fact, it actually makes it harder to detect because you might not be able inspecting what I'm doing to your device from the outside. That is true. Yeah, there's all these different quirks, and these are the things that end up like, Broadly, I have found tons of stuff. And these are the little oversights or things that we don't think about, or we like to say tech debt, whatever, that just accumulates and ends up here at this problem. And now we're like, how could we fix this? There's, a, there's I'll say this, everybody's got product flaws. Sure. Everybody does. Again, I keep saying that because it's really important to stress. It's how do they react to it? How do they respond to it, whatever? From all the public stuff, progress has been pretty good about playing with their what's up, this is what it is, this is the fixes, what have you. Mm -hmm. I think that's an example of doing things correctly in the right way. It might be impactful, but we knew about it. You can look at other breaches and other things like that where it wasn't that straightforward. No, you got the you got the exchange. Yeah. Which is still out there. Um, you know, basically took out Rackspace's whole entire hosted exchange business. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty wild that, you know, like all that's a, that's a pretty big thing. And it, that really kind of went under the radar for a lot of, a lot of America. Be, and there was a lot of small businesses impacted by that issue. 
Um, Look at things like the Okta breach or a couple of other ones where people weren't necessarily offering up that information. And people, that, that scares me. Like I look at something like progress and go, man, they got hit hard, Yep. but at least they're doing it. Right. On the other hand, you get, well, nobody told anybody about for this. You didn't tell anybody for months this was happening. Like this is the last line of defense, right? (laughs) Yeah. I just think about like a couple of weeks ago, I remember seeing a big, bunch of alerts right in a row coming out about Fortinet and SonicWall firewalls. And I'm thinking, wow, all those businesses that just hired somebody to throw a firewall in their office and never touched it after that are now going to get hit because they have these firewalls in place. What if they didn't pay their MSP contract? What if they didn't pay for their firmware updates and all those other things? Or, yeah, right. or 100% or the MSP just doesn't do it because they cut corners because they don't charge enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is, and this is where we go. Okay. You can put out all the patches you want on earth, but it comes down to the end user or the end business to go, we got a role in this, right? Like if you can't play defense all day, right? Like you can't just sit there and just take it. It's scary. Like, well, right now the, 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 the play is for most businesses is, and Andre and I were talking about this, before the show started the play right now for most businesses is do the bare minimum. So we get insurance and insurance will cover us when we get hit. 15 pieces of flare. <laughs> yeah. And, and then that's essentially it. And that's, you know, they're, they're relying on the insurance companies to come in and go, okay, well, yeah, you're doing all the things that we require. So we'll pay, we'll pay your, we'll pay you your way out of this situation. Um, now, and then you would hold up and then you, then they wonder why their cyber insurance premiums are going up individually and across the board, right? <laughs> like you're getting a check at the end of it. Somebody's paying for it. Right. But it, I mean, it, that's the game that people play with insurance. And I was like talking about this the other day with somebody, I was like, how can a business go to a cyber or an insurance company and say, what do we need to do from a security standpoint? So we get our claim paid if we have a problem. And the insurance company is giving them that that information. Like that's, to me, that's unethical or a, a criminal in some way because they're basically saying, yeah, you don't have to do vulnerability management. All you got to do is throw some MFA on, have endpoint protection. You know, if you want to have a SOC, it'll, re- it'll reduce your, uh, you know, your, your premium, but it's not going to cause you to not get cyber insurance. Like them telling businesses that is not the way that we should be going about this because that's what I'm seeing businesses do. They're going and saying, what's the minimum we need to do? And then they're asking for that when they come to companies like ours. It's better than nothing. I don't, I don't, I'll say this. I don't know whether it's illegal or unethical. I will say from my perspective, I look at it as anything moving from empty to full on your gas gauge is better than you were before. It, I'd say this, if it, insurance companies doing that, then they should raise the bar. And I will tell you, if, if you want to know what the mo- two most effective fulcrums to get any change in this industry, public disclosure and going, hey, this happens or happened, or B, companies, insurers, the government through a, a, an intermediate company requiring standards and making it cost money. It's imposition of cost. I always use the Fight Club argument. If A plus B is more than C, we do something about it. The ransomware route of extorting people clearly isn't working because it's continuing to happen. 
it has to happen on that end. Cyber insurers should want to raise the bar a little bit and say, hey, this is the new minimum. Plus getting that association with organization that is enforced by this, that's how things get down because they go, you can't get this contract. You can't get cyber insurance. You can't get X without 15 pieces of flair. Maybe we need to make it 20. And that's, like I said, that's a responsibility of everybody. That's a game that's going to be played. I mean, cyber insurers are like, oh, well, we put on MFA as a requirement and that didn't do the trick. So now we want you to have a sock and you know, it can be an automated response, uh, response sock, and that's going to change to, well, you actually got to have human beings involved now, too. You can't just have computers trying to figure out if you're under attack. I mean, do I hate that idea? <laughs> I hate the AI. Idea. I hate I, the, I'll put this way. Use it a lot. I hate the AI idea, and I hate the definitions idea because yeah. they're only as good as what people put in, and that's what they find. And on the other hand, it goes back to that laziness problem. Who wrote the AI? Are people checking manually all those other things? The things that I do when I hack stuff. Right. I go out and I go, I wonder if anybody manually ever checked this. Right. Can't believe they didn't. Right. And that's that's the same thing. And that's what keeps that's the gap in the industry. Everybody depends on somebody else in the supply chain or somebody else in the process to have checked for them. And it turns out in the end, most people don't, and they're only worried about themselves. <laughs> and and CEOs that I deal with, their attitude is just they think they can solve this cybersecurity issue with technology, and it's not. It's it's more about your own internal processes and how seriously you take cybersecurity, not not the tools and, and the technology. That is, that is not how you're going to beat this problem. Oh, let me tie it back to something you said earlier. Yep. Okay. You said they're making it an IT problem and the technology people's problem, not the executives. So what happens? Hey, we need to secure this or we need this policy. Go give it to the IT people. Let them take care of it. Right. Exact opposite of what should be happening. And I tell CEOs and C-level execs and I tell technology teams this. If you are the IT people, you are a tool of the risk management process and the entire risk management. Whatever burger, if you will. And that's set by the C-level execs. This is what we expect. Here is what you need to do. What it's turned into is the IT team saying, this is what we expect. And the the exec team has to go, this is what we're going to do. It's totally backwards. The people that should be taking the active role, the people that should be doing all of that, deciding what level of risk is acceptable, understanding what is. You don't need to be technical. Just understand what you're doing. And then go, this is our minimum standard. Here's what we need to do give IT leadership the support they need and the resources and a checklist. And this is my life in the MSP world as an engineer or what have you. Well, we need to be HIPAA compliant. Go figure it out. I go, no, you tell me that we're going to be HIPAA compliant. And these are the absolute things I need to do. It's your responsibility, but nobody wants to do that because what you can always blame somebody else and go, we'll fix it next time. And this is our corrective action. Instead of going, we own this, we did this. It's on us to, as a executive decision-making team, to take control, right? I, I, I long for the day when that's the attitude. Well, business is going to be good until then. So if people want to put us out of business, <laughs> do the right thing. We don't have this problem anymore. Yeah, incident response business is going to be good until then. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. yep. 
So, yeah, I mean, Ken, this has been a tremendous. Andre, what time do we have to stop? In like 10, 15 minutes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have any questions for Ken? Um, you know, I, I kind of gave you a little bit of his background. Um, he did post in the private chat kind of that link there for the FCC proposing cybersecurity changes to emergency alert system, which I would assume I didn't read the article as a result of Ken's research. Am I right there, Ken? It literally says in it, I'm the reason why, and I'm at the center of it. <laughs> The story behind that is pretty funny. 2019, I hacked the emergency alert system, reported myself to the FBI, reported myself to the Department of Homeland Security and said, we got to do something about this. I waited a couple years. I didn't see anything done. So I went to DEF CON last year and showed it and said, here's exactly how I did it. Here's how you can do it. Here are all the problems that are in it. And finally, after all of that, so I got, uh, after, after all of that, this comes out, the FCC, it went to the very top of the very top of the very top of the food chain in government because I finally went out and said, okay, here's how you do it. It's kind of like that either you can be proactive or reactive. And unfortunately, it took me going to this point to get some real wholesale change to the point that the FCC and the United States government changed cybersecurity policy because I went out and said, okay, it's been four years. Here's how I did it. Wow. And he's about to do the same thing with a tool, a tool that we, we know really well. Keep it uh, back. Keep, don't don't yeah. get too deep. <laughs> right. Right. He's, about, he's about to do the same thing. Uh, and where, where, where are you going to be, Ken? Tell everybody where you're going to be uh, talking. Speaking. I'll be speaking at IoT Village uh, at DEF CON 31. We're going to be showing some stuff, uh, some zero-day exploitations, some new stuff we did, some recycling of equipment where we're pulling out people's network traffic from a, a router's old life. I'm going to be doing some of the EAS stuff, and then I'm going to be at AppSec Village doing a talk called Living Off the Land with ConnectWise, how I built a botnet and attack platform in 23 lines of Python code. And I'm going to show how I did it. Really wild there stuff. That, Ken, Ken, I do have a question for you. So the government, um, in this case, the FCC, ignored you. What about businesses? Are they also, uh, generally speaking, People in your world, when you report things, are they um, they taking action or just kind of depends on the company or what? I will say this. The FCC was, as soon as I alerted them to this, because I did, found out it didn't get up there, they actually went right on it. It was like immediate. What do you know? Tell us, yada, yada, yada. For individual companies, I will say this, not quite so much. Um, like I said, I find dozens of vulnerabilities a week. And the, and the reason I'm really talking about this is this. You walk, And this is the, how my, my life is. I go to a company and say, I found this vulnerability. Here's the definition. Here's the proof of concept. Here's what it does. What that process ends up being a minority of the amount of time is, okay, here's a problem. We'll register the CVE. We'll do this. We'll handle it. What do you want to do? The majority of the time, and I send absolute definitions, proof of concept, whatever, and go, okay, here's what it is. It becomes a pedantic argument. Well, I don't really think that's, that's impactful. I don't think that that score. We're the company that... Dis because of the way the process works, we're going to decide whether that gets published or acknowledged. And in this case, we're not. That is what I run into more times than not. Going to a company with a vulnerability and saying, hey, here's this problem. You got to fix it. All right, we're going to argue about this until the very end when I either have to go, okay, I'm disclosing it, and they do a CVE, or I have to go to a governmental organization or one associated like MITRE and go, they're not cooperating here's what I got. And they go, as a third party, we looked at it, we agree, it's an issue. That is literally what 
finding exploits and vulnerabilities, being a responsible researcher and whatever else happens to be, it's what my life is. And that's why it ends up on the other end of things of, we could have stopped this earlier. Well, this is the process. So Amir uh, on LinkedIn kind of brought up a point here about, it's also an, an issue of ush, ushered C-suite uh, ushered may not fully be educated on risks and threats. And, 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 you know, I think the three of us here agree. We want to <laughs> yes. educate people, but they don't want to be educated. Like their whole play right now is like, we're keeping our heads buried in the sand. And the, and the less we know, the, the better it comes when people come asking, what did you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'll say, I, I we're all of that agree. Like if sometimes you kind of just have to go do, if you're in that position, like I said, start, making some noise, not in a bad way, a good way. Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. Here's a demonstrable risk. The thing I tell people that people on the tech side, when I say, Hey, you want to work with the CEO, CEO side, I do that. I work on both sides of this. Stop talking numbers. Start, stop talking numbers in this $50,000 firewall solution. will do this. Start talking about here's what will happen if we don't do this. Here is the impact of this. Here are similar things. Start speaking their language. They don't understand TCP IP. They don't understand firewalls. They don't understand cross-site scripting. But if you go, hey, we've got this problem. It costs this company this much money. And here's all the risk you're exposing us to. Like you said, it's that head in the sand thing. Okay, great. Here's what it is. I, people hate that I do this, but I do it all the time. Put it in email. If we have a verbal conversation, I don't know, I don't remember, whatever else, it's a good way to CYA, right? Here's what I think. Here's why it's a risk. Here's what we should do. Just tell me which way you want to go with this and we're fine. That provides some accountability. And again, if worst case scenario happens and everybody starts going for a golden parachute, you have yours too. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. This was, this was yeah. insightful. Andre, I'm good. Ken, we're going to wrap up the show here. So, And I really appreciate you coming on. I hope we can have you on again, especially after your talk. Cause Anytime. <laughs> that's going to be mind-blowing. Uh, and uh, gr good luck with that. Um, I, I know you'll you'll knock it out of your out of the park, and don't take any personal devices with you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. I am a strictly ethical whitehead. I don't do anything unless you ask me to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the other guys. Over there. <laughs> That's funny. But no, yeah. actually, thanks, guys. Anytime you want to come back talk stuff, man, just give me a ring. I'll I'll be happy to jump on. Great. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming on, and uh, we're gonna wrap up the show. So. Appreciate everybody. Uh, remember, share our show. Um, comment where you can. Ask questions like Amir. We'll bring bring them up on the uh, on the screen. But we'll see everybody next week. Stay safe out there. See you.